Hi, I'm Jason Wachab, founder and CEO of My Buddy Green, the best-selling author of Wealth, and your host for the My Buddy Green podcast, where I'll be bringing you deep and insightful dialogues with some of the greatest minds in wellness. If you like what you hear, please give us a five-star review, comment, and share with your friends and family. And don't forget to visit us at mindbuddygreen.com for your daily dose of wellness. Thanks, and enjoy the podcast. So I wanted to tell you about our new sponsor of the podcast, Thrive Market. As many of you know, I recently became a dad. My wife, Colleen, and I have an eight-month-old baby girl, Ellie. It's not an exaggeration when I say that as a new parent, Thrive Market has been a complete lifesaver, which is why I'm so excited that we've teamed up with them to offer you $60 of free organic groceries, free shipping, and a 30-day trial membership. Yep, you heard that right, $60 of free groceries. It's a crazy good deal and it's going to save you a ton of money on food and products that'll make you feel absolutely amazing. And you can get all the details by going to thrivemarket.com slash mindbodygreen. Again, thrivemarket.com slash mindbodygreen. If you haven't heard of Thrive Market, it's an online marketplace that's made up of 100% healthy and organic products, the type of premium food, household cleaners, and bathroom products you'd see on MBG. Except on Thrive, everything is 25 to 50% off retail price. They do this by taking out the middleman. They work with brands directly and then pass those savings on to their customers. For Colleen and I, the convenience has been a huge part of it. Everything on Thrive Market is hyper-curated, so we're not scrolling through endless lists trying to find the one or two brands that meet our admittedly stringent standards. In Brooklyn, where we live, you often find yourself going to one store for collagen powder, another store for organic soap, another store for the right brand of BPA-free canned beans. It can take hours. And as someone running a major wellness media company, that's time I simply don't have. Thrive Market is one-stop shopping. Everything on the site is amazing, but beyond that, you can click to sort by vegan, gluten-free, non-GMO, organic, paleo, etc. You can even sort by more out there things. For instance, as you know, we're big into gut health on MBG. And as you might not know, Colleen is actually a big snacker. So on Thrive Market, you can go to the snack section and click to filter by snacks that contain probiotics. That was how we actually discovered the farmhouse culture Kraut Crisps, which contain billions of probiotics and are dangerously good. Check them out at thrivemarket.com slash mindbuddygreen. We've also been loving the lifestyle categories. Browsing the mom section was how Colleen stumbled across the organic gripe water that's been a game changer for Ellie's teething pain. I didn't even know what gripe water was, to be honest, and I definitely didn't know that there was an organic version. But thanks to Thrive Market, we now have a happy baby on our hands. And get this, it's normally $12.50 at your local health food store, but only $8.50 on Thrive Market. We recently held our annual Revitalize event in Arizona, where we debuted our new motto, You, We, All. At MBG, we think it's so important to reap the benefits of wellness on an individual level. Sure, we all want to feel amazing and live our best lives, but recently, we've really focused on expanding that message. We believe that wellness can change the world and that people who feel good can affect amazing change, which is why I'm so excited to hear about Thrive Market's one-for-one program. For everyone that signs up, they donate a membership to a low-income family, veteran, or teacher to help make healthy living affordable for everyone. Okay, so here's the deal. Right now, you can get up to $60 of free organic groceries, free shipping, and a 30-day trial membership by going to thrivemarket.com slash mindbodygreen. I'd start in the staple section where you'll find the kind of wellness essentials that we recommend on Mind Buddy Green daily, and then work your way out from there, depending on your own needs and preferences. 
Keep in mind, all of their prices are already up to 50% off, and now they're giving you an extra $60 free. Go to thrivemarket.com slash mybuddygreen. But be careful with the crowd crisps, so don't say I didn't warn you. Okay, now let's get into today's episode. Dr. Mark Hyman is a pioneer in the field of functional medicine. Nine-time number one New York Times bestselling author, internationally recognized leader, speaker, and educator. He's also director of the Cleveland Clinic Center for Functional Medicine and is one of the leading voices in wellness today. He's a man that's leading the charge to help us all take back our health one step at a time. Mark, welcome. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here in Brooklyn. So I'd love to go back in time and, and start. You have an incredible health journey. You're not just a doctor who practices on other people. You practice on yourself. <laughs> I do. It's how I learn everything. So let's start. You, you had a serious health challenge years ago, and I want to catch up about uh, the health challenge you just overcame, but let's take us back. Yeah, so I've been interested in health my whole life. I mean, I, ever since I visited my sister at Amherst College when I was 15, and I went to the veggie room, and I discovered chunky peanut butter and whole wheat bread and honey. <laughs> and, uh, and so I started eating healthy. I, I ran pretty much every day as I was a teenager. And then I started yoga in 1979 when it was crazy and weird and odd and became a yoga teacher before I became a doctor. And studied integrative health and global health healing systems and Chinese medicine when I was in college. So I was, was thinking about this, and I lived with a nutrition uh, student who was a PhD student who studied fiber and the gut flora. So all this was sort of running around my head and reading books about it. Uh, and then I went to medical school and became, like, <laughs> throw out all this nutrition. What I, are you you doing? know, I was like, I, I got a little brainwashed, but I still had that thread inside of me and really always took care of myself, ate well, exercised, never had junk food. Um, and then because I spoke Chinese and studied you know, Asian studies in college, I was very interested in, in the East and China. And I got an opportunity to go work there for a year and ended up living in this hotel in Beijing, which was polluted. It was the winter. And there's over 10 million people at the time who were heating their homes with raw coal. <laughs> so the air was black, even on a sunny day, completely, you know, terrible. You have to wear a gas mask to literally live in that city. And someone told me to get an air filter because the air was bad. So I did. And stupidly, I cleaned it out every day and took it to the window and banged out all the dust. And it was basically thick black coal dust, which was full of mercury. And I uh, didn't know it and got home. was doing okay. Worked in the ER, but really stressful. I mean, really stressful. Uh, working 15 shifts all night long, not sleeping much, raising two kids, difficult marriage. Um, and, and then uh, I went up to... Uh, to Maine for summer and uh, got some weird intestinal infection and my gut just went crazy and then everything collapsed. I basically, my whole system collapsed and it took me a long time to figure it out. And I learned, uh, you know, that I had mercury poisoning, uh, which is sort of extraordinary high levels of mercury. Uh, And it affected every system on my body. It affected my gut, uh, led to chronic diarrhea and I developed rashes, allergies, all kinds of stuff I'd never had before. I developed autoimmunity. I developed uh, liver function problems. My muscles were damaged. They were, the muscles were seriously like damaged and, uh, and had muscle enzymes very elevated. Uh, I couldn't really focus. I couldn't think. I couldn't remember anything. I couldn't sleep. I was like, I was depressed. I couldn't function. Um, 
and and slowly, I, you know, I began to understand what was going on. And the mercury, this went on for a while. Yeah, it went right? on for years and years and years. And it's just because there was nobody helping me at the time, and I had to literally, you know, sort of cell by cell, reverse engineer what happened, uh, and how to reset my hormones, how to regulate my immune system, how to detoxify, how to help my mitochondria, how to, uh, you know, re rebuild my whole system. And that was really, really where I discovered functional medicine. And that journey led me to fix myself and I started helping patients. As I was going through this, I started applying the learnings I had of myself to my patients and they started getting better. And I'm like, wow, you know, <laughs> I, would, I, would, I didn't quite believe it because, you know, I wasn't getting better that fast because I had such a deep problem. And some of my patients would get better very quickly. I'd, I'd call them up after, you know, a few weeks, how you doing, you change your diet. Oh, my lifelong migraines are gone. My joints don't hurt anymore. You know, I've lost 15 pounds. Like my irritable bowel's gone. I'm like, really? Because <laughs> I didn't believe it because I didn't learn that in medical school. And so the power of, of this model of thinking about disease, which is really looking at root causes, it's looking at the body as a system. Instead of asking what disease do you have, we want to know why do you have it? How do you restore balance? It's really the science of creating health. I was able to reverse engineer what was wrong with me and also to create abundant health. So you discover this at a young age and, and you, this is the birth of functional medicine. You start to incorporate this in your practice. And then before I come back, I want to fast forward to today. So, mm. you know, a lot of people don't know you had another health scare and I want to I talk did. to you about that and I did. what that was like. Yeah, no, I mean, last summer I was, you know, feeling pretty healthy, exercising, riding my bike 50 miles a day. Um, and uh and you're like 57 going on like 35 something like if like you that. look at mark and you're like this guy's healthy like he's a picture <laughs> of health now but i didn't look so good early this year i i uh you know i had a perfect storm of insults i discovered my 120 year old barn was infested with mold uh which i've been living in and had a cough uh uh, and and had to completely remediate my home and remodel it. And so you're coughing and you're like, what's going on? Yeah, and yeah. And I, and I figured it out. And uh, but I had been living in it already for a bunch of years. And I realized I had mold exposure for years that I didn't pay attention to. Uh, and then and then uh, I had a root canal earlier in the year and it went bad. And I had to get the tooth removed. Uh, and the dentist said it was infected. I had to take an antibiotic, which probably shouldn't have, but it was one that tends to cause uh, an infection in the gut called C. diff or C. difficile, sure. which is kills thousands of people every year. Uh, and uh, then I seemed okay. And I went to, I was a little tired, but I went to uh, New Zealand to go traveling with my um, girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife. And Congratulations. We, thank you. And we, uh, we rode horses and the horse spooked and tripped uh, literally fell over. I've never been on a horse that fell over before. And I jumped off and broke my arm. And so it was all these traumas that happened. And I came back and my gut just went crazy. And I developed C. diff in and out of the hospital. Then it turned into colitis. Then it turned into gastritis. I was in 24-7 pain. I lost 25 pounds. If anybody knows me, I'm already, You're already, thin. I'm already a skinny dude. Yeah. So, you know, I'm six foot three, 180. And I went down wow. to 158. Oh, God. Like, and uh, it couldn't function. I couldn't work. I couldn't answer an email. I couldn't answer a text. I could basically eat, sleep, go to the bathroom, and uh, watch Netflix. Right. <laughs> a little HBO Go here and there. Okay. <laughs> and um, it was tough. And I, I had to use, you know, I had to, in the fog of being sick, I had to try to 
think about what was going on. I consulted many doctors and I saw specialists and I saw I had, you know, in and out of the hospital, I had tests, I thought I had cancer. It was really a frightening moment. Yeah, what what does the guy do who usually has all the answers yeah, right? when you don't? Right. Well I knew what to think about. I knew what was happening. So I was in this catabolic state, total body breakdown. Um, my arm was broken. I it was just my whole system was in, in this state of acute inflammation. Uh, and I couldn't break it. I really couldn't break it. And um, I was able to get my gut a little better uh, using functional medicine, but it just wasn't enough to get me back to work. And I began, you know, thinking about all the patients I've had and all the tools that I've used over the years and what are the things that could be helpful and how do I hit the reset button on my immune system? How do I, you know, use the nuclear option and so I'm <laughs> stop this fussing around with diet and supplements? So I, um, and, and, and I, I was sort of shocked uh, what I found. I, you know, I, I, I put together my own plan, which was uh, intravenous ozone, which is very experimental. And Yeah, talk to people about what that is. Yeah, so uh, people think of the ozone layer and how we use aerosol cans and how that destroys the ozone layer. But ozone is produced when, for example, lightning happens. You get that smell after lightning and the rain. That's ozone. Uh, and it's, uh, it's a O3 instead of O2. It's a very volatile gas. Uh, and it's a powerful... Uh, oxidant. Uh, we think we should be eating antioxidants, yes, right. but we also need oxidants. In fact, our white blood cells kill infections using oxidants. They release hydrogen peroxide. They have chlorine, chloride, hyperchlorite. They actually produce ozone even. So your white blood cells are using oxidants to kill bacteria, but the immune system gets overwhelmed and can't really do the job of killing infections. And I found I had Babesia as well, which is a tick infection that I got probably from living in the Berkshires. <laughs> And I had this, this perfect storm, and and the ozone seems to help kill infections. It helps to seems to boost your immune system. It increases your antioxidant enzymes. It may increase stem cell production. So, uh, I just heard the stories of my patients over the years. As this is a modality to help them when they had these chronic issues, uh, and I also knew about hyperbaric oxygen therapy, which is where you go in a tank, like if you have scuba diving illness called the bends or nitrogen mm -hmm. illness, you, you basically go in this thing and they pressurize the tank to below sea level and probably one or two atmospheres below and they pump in 100% oxygen. And that hyperoxygenates your tissues and oxygen is also very toxic to uh, infections and bugs. And uh, it helps increase circulation and brain function. Uh, and I also did a lot of intravenous nutrients like vitamin C, high dose and glutathione. Uh, and within... You know, two days of the ozone, I started feeling better within a wow. week. So, uh, so just what, what is that therapy? Like, you're getting a shot? Like, explain yeah. to people what that is. People so are there, like, ozone, what is this? There's three different major types that are intravenous, and then there's applications through rectal ozone sure. and other things. But the traditional type has been called MAH, or major autohemotherapy, which is essentially taking a catheter, putting it in your vein, you put the bottle of glass bottle on the floor, it drains into the bottle, your blood, about 200 cc's, a cup of blood, you stick ozone in it, and then you hang it up and you let it drip in. It takes about an hour. Um, there's another kind called 10-pass, which is a hyperbaric ozone therapy where they essentially under pressure uh, push ozone into your system through the blood. So it's the same idea. You you take a catheter and you, you take the blood out into this bottle, but it's by a vacuum, so it's vacuumed out. And then you inject ozone into the bottle of blood with oxygen, and then you, under pressure, push it back in. And you do that 10 times if you can wow. get it. Uh, and then there's direct IV, which is very controversial, and uh, many people think it's dangerous. Uh, it's actually what I had, um, where you inject direct ozone and oxygen gas into your vein, like a 
50cc syringe full of gas. Uh, and I did that twice a day. Wow. And it was the thing that really shifted. What does it feel like after you do it? Are you a little like well, you, you know, over from it? I or? mean, initially you might cough and feel a little chest pressure, a little, sure. little out of it for a bit. And then it lifts and you feel better. Uh, and after a while, it felt like being on crack, but without all the side effects. Right. And so what type of, it's just, this is like real cutting edge stuff. I think people are interested in like, who should explore this type of therapy? Well, I think, I think it's, you know, um, still needs a lot of research to be done on it. Sure. There's a lot of work done in Italy and Spain and Cuba, Russia, uh, and it's been used in Germany extensively. In fact, I, I talked to a physician from Harvard the other day who runs a Lyme clinic there, and she sends patients to Europe to do ozone therapy because it's so effective when right. drugs don't work. Uh, so I think people who are chronically ill, who've tried everything, who don't get better uh, sure. with chronic tick infections, chronic fatigue, uh, we're look, thinking about doing a trial at Cleveland Clinic on this. So I think we, we really have to look at you know, how do we test, test this? How do we study it? Uh, and how do we actually show that it works? Because I think uh, there's there's very little um, sort of awareness in America about this therapy. And it, I think it's potentially a very powerful therapy. So for you, it was ozone and hyperbaric chamber. And IVs. And IVs. And, you know, high-dose vitamin C, which is also antimicrobial. And, uh, and also uh, I did stem cells. Yeah, talk to us about that too. So partly that was for my arm, which wasn't healing because I was in such a breakdown state. And I, I had my own fat cells and I had my own bone marrow cells taken out and then injected into my blood and as well as, as my arm. And it, um, I don't know if that was part of it, but I think I just did a blitzkrieg and nuclear option and it worked. <laughs> Which arm is it, the left or the right? I'm, lo- I'm looking to see if there are any differences. No, my like left arm, you can't tell now. I oh, guess. wow. It, it does look like it has a little bit superhuman strength. If you no, can. no. <laughs> no, my left arm has a wedding ring. And so and so, a couple days, you start to feel significantly better. And- uh, it was shocking. I, I mean, I already had done all the basic stuff. I already cleaned sure. up my... I already had a great diet. I already was all taking all the nutrients I needed, all the probiotics. Everything was... I was sort of prepped. It wasn't like I went from having a crappy, awful diet and terrible lifestyle to you know better without sure. putting that foundation down so that foundation is really important and and then uh this really had dramatic impact and i i interviewed a lot of people when i was in the office and many people had dramatic experiences getting better not everybody but i think it was it was impressive so you went from like lying down couldn't get up and you feel great yeah. today yeah no yeah i just run my bike you know 30 miles i played tennis for an hour was swimming did hot yoga yesterday you know just yeah, That's I went amazing. for a run in Brooklyn this morning. And so, nutrition. I want to talk about that. Like in that in that process. Like, did your protocol with diet change, or or no? I couldn't eat. I mean, I was I was, um, you know, I my complete uh, nausea all the time, wow. uh, severe stomach pain, um, and so I just ate very simply. And I like you know chicken vegetable soup. I I. I went had uh, tried to gain some weight. I had kitchery, which is rice and ghee and sure. and some beans. Uh, you know, I, I you know no caffeine, no alcohol, no sugar, no processed food, which I don't usually much anyway. Although sure. I drink alcohol from time to time, and I and I just um, you know just try to get enough calories in. Um, and in fact, in, in order to gain weight, mm-hmm. uh, I I. I you know, worked on a uh, principle. My, my old book was eat fat, get thin. So I was like, eat carbs, get fat. And it worked, you know, I ate rice, <laughs> sweet potatoes. I, I just carved up and I was able to gain a little weight. Then become more lethargic. Yeah. I mean, I, 
I ate good carbs, but it's still, it's like, you know, you eat the starch and it and your body can start. And then I got a little, so I got a little love handles and I could have my stem cells. And then I stopped <laughs> eating that and boom, they just went away, you know. So you mentioned your book, which is an incredible book, Eat Fat, Get Thin, which everyone has to pick up if you haven't already. Um, let's talk about fat and, and where we are today and how nutrition has evolved mm. and how fat has evolved. Mm. Well, I, I just got back from uh, giving a lecture at the uh, annual heart summit, uh, the Arkansas Heart Hospital, which is one of the top heart hospitals yeah. in the world because they have so much heart disease because it's the number one obese state in the nation wow and i thought you know gosh i'm gonna be talking about fat and saturated fats not so bad and the you know these are the i mean the american heart association the american college of cardiology recommend that we cut our saturated fat to less than five percent of calories and that we eat a lot of vegetable oil refined vegetable oils which is probably the worst advice that <laughs> any organization give and i thought this is what they're going to follow down there and they didn't they were like the head of cardiac surgery was on a ketogenic diet. Right. I'm like, what? <laughs> and uh, they were recommending very low carbohydrate diets, higher fat, low carb diets to their patients and cardiac rehab and in, you know, bariatric surgery. And uh, I was just sort of stunned about it. And they were like, well, you know, we don't think the whole statin thing is right. Sure. We don't believe in the whole LDL hypothesis of cholesterol. I'm like, Wow. I mean, I was just sort of shocked. And I same thing happened at Cleveland. I went to the top cardiac guy there, Steve Nissen, who's world famous and leading researcher. And I said, sheepishly, here's my book. Uh, you know, I just want to let you know. I know this is the number one heart hospital in the world. And I'm writing about fat. And, you know, he's like, Mark, what are you talking about? We got the whole story wrong on fat. In fact, I think we got the story wrong on saturated fat. In right. fact, this is how I eat. And look at me. And he's thin and healthy. <laughs> you know, I think, I think the tide's changing. And they're still holdouts who believe that we should be eating a low-fat diet, that that's the best way to reverse heart disease. But the evidence just is not there. In fact, it's not just my opinion. The U.S. Dietary Guidelines in 2015 reversed 30-plus years, 35 years of advice, which told us to eat low-fat. It said, sorry, uh, we got it wrong on fat. You don't have to restrict fat in any way except saturated fat, which I think is a, a mistake. And two, uh, by the way, cholesterol, we told you to eat those egg white omelets and avoid shrimp because they're full of cholesterol. Sure. Well, that has nothing to do with heart disease. And uh, sorry, guys, but it's no longer a nutrient of concern. So that's from sort of the, the national guidelines, which have challenges, but uh, are still, you know, the evidence is overwhelming. Sure. So it, it doesn't mean, though, that people should just run out and eat you know, a pound of no, bacon every meal. No, I think, no, you, and no, I think no. there's a misconception there. Like, how should people? Like, what what does that mean? Like, what's I think it, what's I think I like? think we shouldn't be afraid of it, but it's not our it's not our staple. Right. You, know, you, you shouldn't be eating sticks of butter and pounding down the coconut oil all day long. I think you know when you think about it, it's actually I was I mentioned this before, but you know the government. I mean, guidelines are to eat less saturated fat, about ten percent. The American College of Cardiology is five percent. Breast milk's 25% saturated fat. Does that mean we should ban breastfeeding? <laughs> I think if nature designed us to consume that much saturated fat at birth, to help us develop our brains and develop our hormones right. and our immune system and our, our whole body, I mean, there's something to think about in there. And when you look at the evidence on saturated fat, it's pretty shaky. It's a lot of it's uh, observational, which means they look at populations, they see what people eat, they try to do correlations, but correlation is not causation, Sure. right? It doesn't mean that. In other words, I could do a study of 55-year-old uh, women who had sex, and I would conclude that sex never leads to pregnancy. 
<laughs> it's true in that age group, but it's not true, sure. right? So we, we can be misled. Uh, you know, I just uh, you know looked at a sort of study that showed that veg, uh, people who are vegetarian did better in this large uh, cohort of people, physicians, health study, nurses, health study. But the truth is that it's it's the healthy user effect. If you look sure. at people who are vegetarians, they're health conscious. You know, there's you know Coke and chips vegetarian, but most people are more health conscious. They exercise more. They they are thinner. They have better lives. They don't smoke. They don't sure. you know have a lot of bad habits. Whereas the people who aren't, or just didn't care about themselves. So the meat right. eaters, you know, smoke more, drink more, eat less fruits and vegetables. Like the diet soda. So you can say, yeah, the people who are vegetarians were healthier, but sure. what's the context of the population? We call this confounding factors. And I, I looked at a study where they did 11,000 people who shopped at veg, uh, health food stores. Half were vegetarian, half were meat eaters who were eating meat in the context of a healthy diet, who were probably eating more grass-fed meat. And there was no difference between them. In fact, both of them had their risk of death cut in half. Wow. So it, it's really the context, you know, it's compared and compared to what? Uh, so, and I think interventional studies with saturated fat are impressive. You see people uh, change their biology. Their good cholesterol goes up, their triglycerides go down, the inflammation goes down, their muscle mass goes up. So very, very low carb ketogenic sure. type diets, they increase muscle mass, they decrease body fat, they decrease belly fat. So all these things are, are, are measurable when you intervene in a patient or a patient population. And that's much better than these population studies. So it's like experimenting with people and sure. see what happens. Sure. Well, one thing, so I was mentioning earlier, uh, my wife and I have Bulletproof every morning. We have the MCT oil, grass-fed butter. We end up doing intermittent fasting, not eating until lunch, like assuming that's okay, right? Yeah, I you think know, it's as long okay. as everything else is but fine. But here, here's what I would say. Here's what I'm I would not going to have bacon for lunch. And no. Bacon I mean, by dinner. the way, that, that study about uh, meat causing cancer and particularly it was processed meat like bacon. Sure. Uh, you know, it was like this dramatic increase, like 30% increase or whatever it was in cancer risk or 25% increase. What that means is that if you have four pieces of bacon every day, your whole life, which I certainly don't recommend, sure. your risk of colon cancer would go from 5% to 6%. Wow. <laughs> That's a 20% increase, Sure. right? Sounds bad, 20% increase, but it's just a very low amount of increase. And yeah, you probably shouldn't eat a ton of processed meat, but I think if you, if you have your bulletproof and you're fine, check your numbers. Right. Everybody's different. I think this whole idea that everybody's the same, needs the same diet, it's just nonsense. Sure. Different people thrive in different ways. And there's going to be genetic testing, which you'll be able to sort of check and sure. see what you should be eating and what you shouldn't be eating. So what are the new numbers? You know, if, if cholesterol is outdated, like what, what if we go to a doctor who's, who's not you, mm -hmm. you know, not a function, not, you know, top, top of the game functional medicine doctor, and you say, like, okay, doc, here are the tests I want. I don't want these tests. I don't give a shit about them. Like, here are the five tests I want. What are they? Well, the funny thing is most of the time when you go to the doctor and... Uh, you get your checkup there. They do a basic uh, blood count and metabolic panel and right. a lipid panel. And unless you're dying, you know, <laughs> your, your numbers or you're really sick in the hospital, those numbers don't change. You're severely anemic or you have uh, electrolyte imbalances or you have kidney failure or, or a renal failure. Those are the things that those tests show. And the blood count, you know, you could have a little bit of anemia. That would be helpful to check. But it's it's not really that much of a benefit when looking at are you healthy sure. right are you should you be in the hospital yes or no okay i can right. tell you that 
cholesterol, the panel they do is pretty outdated. It should be it should be completely replaced by looking at the quality of the cholesterol, which means looking at it through an MRI machine. It's called NMR cholesterol testing or something called cardio IQ. They're done by Quest and LabCorp, and they look at the size of the particles, the number of the particles, the kind of triglycerides you have, the kind of HDL you have, and those matter. And most of the heart disease we have in this country is caused by what we call atherogenic dyslipidemia. That means you have high triglycerides that are big, fluffy ones. You have low HDL, which is small, dense HDL, not even good HDL. And you have small LDL. So you could have a cholesterol of 150. It sounds great. But if your triglycerides are 300 and your HDL is 30... I'm far more concerned than if your cholesterol is 300 and your right. HDL is 100 and your triglycerides are 50, right? So I think I think we have to look more sophisticated in a sophisticated way at the cold lipid issue and cholesterol issue. And there's a lot of heterogeneity. Some people have genetics that uh, make them more sensitive to saturated fat or maybe they should sure. be having more carbohydrates. But it's really unique to each individual. I mean, I've, I've seen people switch from a high-carb diet to, and I mean sugar, starch, even grains and beans, uh, actually to a higher fat diet, uh, good quality fats, and their numbers all dramatically improve. You see large fluffy cholesterol particles. Coconut oil raises mm-hmm. the LDL, yes, but the LDL isn't the worst thing in the world. It's there for a reason, and it's light and fluffy when you get coconut oil. The HDL goes up even more, and the triglycerides go down, so your overall ratios get all better. So coconut oil is okay. Yes, okay. Avocados okay. Avocados. As long as avocados are okay, I'm on board. Avocados are okay. Nuts and seeds are okay. Olive oil, extra virgin olive oil is okay. Grass-fed meats are okay. Grass-fed butter, ghee, grass-fed. Yeah. Um, all those are fine. But just, I, but just I, doesn't mean your diet should be 100 percent this. No. And talk no. to me about you. You define this word. It was. Pegan. Pegan. I came up with that with I you. Every, yeah. <laughs> so, well, yeah, talk about that. Well, it was kind of funny because I was sitting on a panel with Joel Kahn, who's a vegan cardiologist, and with uh, Frank Lippin, Frank, who's yeah. more on the paleo side, and they were going at it. And I'm like, God, you guys, this, if you're vegan and you're paleo, I must be pegan. And, and then I kind of went home and wrote an article about it, and it was like stuck. And then people wrote books about it, and like it was articles written in all sorts of newspapers about it, and uh, people came up with some products related to it. I thought it was hysterical. And essentially, it's just common sense. It's like, okay, we should be eating a very high plant-based diet. We should be eating very low glycemic diet, which means low starch and low sugar, which can be even grains and beans. I mean, there's some vegans who recommend eating two cups of grains and cups and cups of beans. I think that's problematic if you have a tendency towards prediabetes, which about half or three quarters of the population does. Sure. Or if you have gas. I guess. Well, that's that. Yeah, that's another thing. But it should be high in quality fats. Things like we mentioned: olive oil, avocados, nuts and seeds, grass-fed meats, whole um, pasture-raised eggs, uh, and and so forth. And it should be very low in anything processed. You want to eat mm-hmm. food in its natural state. I mean, I always say, you know, if something has a barcode, a label, or an ingredient list, you probably don't want to eat it. I mean, an avocado doesn't have an ingredient list, an almond doesn't have a nutrition facts label, and you know, an egg doesn't have a barcode on it. It's just sure. food. And I think, uh, you know, we also want to avoid uh, toxins in our food when we can, which is from pesticides and glyphosate in our food and, and uh, GMO foods, which are problematic for many, as well as 
as well as pesticides and herbicides and antibiotics and hormones that are used in factory farming of animals, which is horrific. So we can reduce all those things. We can eat quality food. And protein is, you know, is a question for a lot of people. Sure. There's, there's good quality vegan proteins. There's, there's grass-fed meats. And it's, you know, we don't need a ton of protein. It's not like we should be eating right. huge amounts. But we, most of us probably need, uh, you know, one... We need more than we thought we needed, which was 0.8 grams per kilo. We need about 1 to 1.2, depending on what we do and how active we are. But I think, you know, it's important to, to, to think about just balance. And there's questions. There's dairy questions. Is dairy healthy or sure. not? There's questions about grains and beans and yeah, lectins. Where are you on dairy? Lectins, our, our friend, Mr. Gundry. Yeah, yeah. So there, there's, there, there, there's some controversies around some of these issues. But most vegans and paleo agree on the same principles. Whole sure. food, real food, low toxins, no processed food. Uh, you know, plant foods are important. And then, you know, you get into gray zones like dairy and meat sure. and then grains and beans. Those are the big flashpoints in nutrition. So where are you on dairy these days? You know, I think that, that uh, I've written a lot about this. Uh, one article was called Six Reasons to Avoid Dairy at All Costs, which I encourage you to read. <laughs> Another one was called Got Proof, which right. is, uh, you know, is milk really healthy? And, and I think the FTC came down against uh, the dairy industry, which, by the way, was supported by our government and, and tremendous amount of government funds to create a campaign for Americans to consume more milk. Sure. Uh, and, you know, those mustache ads and all those things, there was just no evidence that, that that's true. And I think there's been more and more research on the, the challenges with dairy in terms of increasing cancer risk, in terms of creating autoimmunity like type 1 diabetes, and contributing to bone loss, and especially like, uh, you know, when you have skim milk, it just, it's, it's, there's just no adequate satiety. These kids sure. get fatter on, on milk. And, and also, um, you know, there's concerns about its contribution to uh, autism and gut issues and allergies and eczema and asthma and you know when you think about the gut it's you know this this, this new molecule called casein which is an, uh, mm -hmm. a different form of it that's used in dairy production now that's it's from hybridization of the cows so you're not eating the dairy that your great-grandparents right. ate which was all heirloom all grass-fed all organic there wasn't anything else and so so these are starting to create issues for people plus um you know, 75% of the world is lactose intolerant. It's right. abnormal to be lactose tolerant. It's mostly Northern Europeans. I was going to say, do you buy into the Northern versus Southern European dairy? Sure. I think, you know, just check with people. I mean, right. I, you know, I, I test people's genetics. You see the lactose intolerance gene very frequently. And I think um, people will know what, when they have a problem. Sure. So something you mentioned earlier, ketosis. Talk mm. to us about mm. that and a lot of exciting. So, you know, um, you know, when, when we, you know, look at, nutrition. I mean, there's, there's just foundational healthy nutrition, which I think most people can agree on the basics. But then there's therapeutic nutrition, which is how do you treat diseases with mm -hmm. food? Because food is medicine. And I know you created this great new course, the, uh, the Mind Body Green yeah. uh, Advanced Functional uh, Nutrition nutrition Program. Which you're part of, and everyone has I'm, to buy. We'll, we'll come back to that. <laughs> yeah, which I'm part of. <laughs> this is really important, but there's, there's a whole concept of food as medicine, as a drug, as a therapeutic agent. And in fact, in functional medicine, it is the main drug. It's the main thing we use, and it's curative or reparative uh, for most people. Uh, and what we're exploring now is this whole field of ketogenic diets as a therapeutic tool. So it's been around for a long time. It's used in epilepsy. When none of the drugs work, we use ketogenic diets to stop these kids having epilepsy. My, my uh, coach, health coach at Cleveland Clinic, she came to me and said her, her brother was 12, is autistic and was having 12 seizures a day. And Oof. she put him on a ketogenic diet and they went away just like that. Wow. Um, and that's been well established. And now we're seeing it in, in, for example, brain cancer. 
in autism, in Alzheimer's disease, there's research going on, in, uh, in diabetes. Uh, it's, it, there's a company called Verda that started an online digital uh, ketogenic diet program for type 2 diabetics, reversing 75% of diabetes, getting off the medications, normal blood sugars. So I, th I think this is a very powerful tool. Um, and, it, and it's interesting that the brain seems to work better on ketones. They also are, are a different fuel that helps speed up your metabolism. They may be related to why uh, animals who are calorie restricted live longer because mm -hmm. it, it stimulates mitochondrial function and, and mitochondrial regrowth and rebuilding. So I think there's a lot of uh, amazing research now emerging around ketogenic and diets. explain to people briefly who may be not familiar like what it is. Yeah, sure. So um, I think there's a lot of misconceptions too. People are like, oh wow, it's just bacon all day. And mm, no, <laughs> no, it's why, you know, it's why people who did Atkins had bad breath. But right. uh, I think that uh, when you look at, at ketogenic diets, uh, your body can either uh, burn carbohydrates as fuel or it can burn fat as fuel. And, and most of us burn carbohydrates uh, through this process you know, called glucose oxidation. But there's fat oxidation that can be done as well. And so your mitochondria can burn fat. And it seems to me that they work better on fat. In fact, uh, a friend of mine, the guy I went to college with at Cornell, who was a nutrition student, uh, became a professor at the University of Buffalo studying exercise physiology, and he was studying the mitochondria. And he told me, Mark, we used to think that people who uh, wanted to be athletes should carb load. Now we realize they should fat load, that mm. the fat run much better on mit mitochondria boosting the mitochondria work better on fat. In fact, I just uh, heard of a, a guy who uh, was an Everest guide and summited Everest many times, but had to use oxygen and he never could summit without oxygen. And he was using all these high carb gels and goos and <laughs> uh, carb loading. And uh, he decided to go ketogenic. Uh, and this guy was super fit to start with, but he was able to summit without oxygen on a ketogenic diet. When you think about it, you've got 2,500 calories of glycogen of carbs stored in your muscle. And if you're doing endurance exercise, you're going to run through that pretty quick. Right. Uh, whereas you probably have 40 or 50,000 calories of fat in your body that you can mobilize. So it's a challenge, though. You can't just do it automatically. You actually have to switch from carb burning to fat burning. And something you mentioned before, two things, which, which happens when life happens, processed foods yeah. and alcohol. And so what do you do? You know, processed foods have to have, you know, I, I travel a lot. You know, I can bring nuts, I can bring all that stuff, but, you know, bars have to happen. And then alcohol happens. <laughs> so what are your advice, you know? Well, I have, I have a whole piece I've written on your emergency food pack, your travel yeah. pack. And I, I did a video on it it's on my website, drhyman.com. And it's, it's kind of goofy and funny, but I go through like what I do. And it's, it's real. I live this life. I travel on the road. I mean, I was just flying from Little Rock, Arkansas, where there was no edible substances to be found. Did I ever and tell you when Colleen and my wife went there went for Walmart? No. She went out to eat, and they said, at the time, she was a vegetarian. She's uh -huh. not anymore. They said, we know you're a vegetarian, so we ordered you a turkey sandwich. <laughs> Is that supposed to be vegetarian? <laughs> a tur a turkeys are vegetarians that makes sense so yeah so i you know i i've you know really written a lot about this and thought about it but i bring food with me so sure. i bring nuts like cashews or almonds i'll bring nut butters and pack kits i like artisana um you know, cashew butter walnut butter almond butter uh and also i bring bison bars that are sure. meat bars that are from bison uh and which are all grass-fed and they're small little bars and i put them in my in my bag and um you know i experiment with different bars but i only eat ones that are, have food in them if they have a whole list of ingredients which ones do you like um 
Most of them are pretty sweet. That's the challenging right. thing. So I, I tend to sort of avoid them. But, you know, some of the kind bars have less than five grams of sugar. I'll yep. go for that in a pinch. Uh, you know, I also carry with me cans of wild salmon or sardines. They don't make me too popular when I'm in my office. But Sardines. Yeah. Must be a popular uh, guy. <laughs> I know. Jerky is awesome. awesome. Yep. You can get grass-fed jerkies, turkey. You can get fish jerky. You can get grass-fed beef jerky. Uh, those are really great portable foods. So what, what about, uh, go ahead. No, I just make sure I have at least a day's worth of food in my right. bag whenever I'm traveling. I have food in my desk in my office. I have food in my desk at, um, at uh, work at Cleveland Clinic. And I have food in my bag here as well, just in case you guys didn't feed we'll me. Go through your bag later. <laughs> what about alcohol? What about it? Do you bring that with you too? or No, no I do not. I don't have a flask. <laughs> I don't do that. Uh, there's a lot of interesting research on alcohol, uh, and there seems to be a U-shaped curve where a little bit's good and a little more is really bad. So just because one glass is good doesn't mean two is sure. better. In fact, it may be worse than nothing at all. And and so um, I tend to you know look at one sugar in this alcohol. So wine is high. Beer is, someone said it's like seven slices of bread having a glass of beer. I don't know if that's true, but it's a lot of carbs. Uh, so I stick more to very low allergenic, sort of gluten-free uh it's like your dry tequila. Yo, tequila. What? <laughs> All right. Now we're talking. Tequila, mezcal. There's some great stuff yeah. out. German Bolt is a great yeah. new mezcal with, with Damiano, which is a calming herb. Uh, I like good tequila, so it gets expensive. So I just have a little what's bit. Your, what's your favorite good oh, tequila? Gosh. Dr. Hyman approved oh, tequila. Oh, this is expensive. <laughs> it's not for everybody. I, 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 I microdose it. Okay. It's, uh, it's uh, it? Don Julio, 1942. Oh, wow. That, 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 well, when you say 1942, that sounds expensive. But Yeah, that's not how much it costs. But. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so tequila, mezcal, dry red wine, stay yeah. away from the... You have to be careful with some of the wines. I've been seeing patients who drink a lot of wine. They have high levels of arsenic because they grow them oh, on on uh, pressure-treated lumber, and that's uh, particularly in America. So, oh, interesting. Yeah. So, like, what has you excited right now? The world is evolving. You know, what, what what's like? Where, where is nutrition going? Where is wellness going? What has you excited? And, and the flip side, what what keeps you up at night? What 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 is going the wrong way? What's yeah. going the right way and the wrong way? <clears throat> well, I'm I'm really excited by what I call the convergence, which is within the next few years going to revolutionize medicine and science and teach us things that we just never knew about how to create scientific wellness. What is wellness? Sure. How do we define it? What is going on? And there's a number of companies that are innovating in the space of scientific wellness, including Craig Venter with Human Nucleus, looking at, you know, testing thousands of biomarkers, your genome, microbiome, metabolome, uh, Viome also is a new startup that's looking at how do we test the same things. And Aravel, which is a derivative of the Institute for Systems Biology, Larry Hood, who was the guy who discovered the machine that decoded the human genome. Uh, these guys are smart dudes. And, and uh, they're all looking at these biomarkers and these patterns, these extensive big data sets, this complex, you know, dynamic big data that's going to actually help inform what's going on. Right now, it's, it's just information. It's not knowledge. And they've hired functional medicine doctors to help them interpret what to do and what recommendations to give. Wow. So that's all going to happen. So we've got all this data from personalized medicine, from your genome, metabolome, microbiome, proteome, transcriptome, nutrigenome, all this stuff, all right? All these gnomes. All these gnomes. Yeah, your, your, <laughs> the metabolome of your microbiome. That's the thing that's gotten me really thinking lately because just to take a digression you know people talk about the microbiome what that means is you've got 10 times as many bacterial cells as your own cells you've got a hundred times as much bacterial dna as your own dna you've got twenty thousand genes there may be two or three million genes in the bacteria that live in you 
And those genes do what? They produce proteins. One of those proteins do, they get absorbed in your body and then they affect your biochemistry, they affect your metabolism, they affect your brain function, they affect everything. So the metabolome of your microbiome is fascinating and I, I, we're just starting to look at that. And that's a, a huge area of research that so, no one's really dug into. So what are we gonna be in like five years? So this convergence is, you know, the, the sort of omics, right? Personalized medicine, the quantified self, which is measuring all of our uh, real-time numbers. As we go around, you can measure your blood glucose through a contact lens or through a little thing on your skin, and we're gonna get more sophisticated about that. It is artificial intelligence, which take all this big data and all the omics in personalized medicine and, and then make sense of it. Look at machine learning and, and artificial intelligence will help us to actually decipher this. And then filtering that through the other big advance, which is this idea of systems biology, functional medicine. Sure. How do we interpret the data? What, what are the laws that are governing all these dynamic interactions? And how do we make sense of it and apply that? And when that happens, I mean, Google's trying to figure this out. And you've got all these startups trying to figure it out. You've got sure. Amazon 1492 you know, discovery, looking at the same thing. So this is happening uh, and it's super exciting. And I think it's going to inform the whole idea of scientific wellness and how we create wellness. Um, so that's, that's kind of cool stuff. So one thing that, that's, that probably doesn't make sense to anybody, cool. but it's, it's happening. And I, I just, I sense that, you know, the body is so dynamic, so complex, and, and it's so beyond the average doctor's capacity to actually think about it, that they're just in this road of disease, drug, disease, right. drug, which is just so, so outdated. So what about stress? What about it? I'm going to go <laughs> well, do where, yoga right now. Where's that going? And, and how do we measure? You know, we talk about measuring stuff and measuring stuff. Yeah. But like what? I think we're, we're, we're in trouble. Like I think the, the level of stress in people's lives, uh, the, the, the benefits and the curses of our connected digital world right. are, are really present for everybody. I mean, you know, think about it. The average uh, person spends two hours on the internet. What did you do with that two hours before? You took a walk. You did yoga. You talked to a friend. I mean, the, the amount of, of social disruption and the disconnection and the loneliness and isolation is huge. And the amount we're expected to do, to produce, to actually perform is really unreasonable. And I think, you know, we have to sort of start to look at how do we, how do we redesign life? It was exciting. And now we go, wait a minute, you know, like right. digital detoxes are drop are, are, are arising all over the place where people have to put their phones away and, you know, just be together. So I want to circle back. We have this amazing nutrition program uh, that we just shot with you. So talk to talk to people about what what you're going to talk about in the program and why everyone has to pick it up. Well, well, the overarching theme is that you know in healthcare we pretty much ignore nutrition, and yet the most powerful drug is food, and it has the power to optimize tens of thousands of genes to improve the function of tens of thousands of protein networks to balance your hormones to optimize your immune system to even improve your gut microbiome with every single bite of food it works faster better and cheaper than any drug and it's available to almost everybody on the planet and yet as a healthcare system we don't use it mm -hmm. and this is what we're doing at cleveland clinic we're implementing food as medicine trials research trials uh, and having extraordinary results I think outcomes that they're all shocked about because it's such a good drug. And so this course uh, is going to focus on how to use food as medicine and deal with the other factors that are driving autoimmune disease, which is an increasing epidemic. I mean, it's the number one disease uh, collectively. When you add them all together, it's over 80 million Americans. And then, of course, I'm doing the course on the brain because most of our brains are challenged. We're not focused. We can't remember. We're tired. We have brain fog. And we have more serious issues like depression, dementia, 
and ADD and autism. These are serious brain disorders. And so how do we think about those differently? How do we use the science of functional medicine to actually help navigate, find the causes, and how do we restore health and balance? And so I'm really excited for people to be empowered with the knowledge of how to do this for themselves. Because I believe that you know we have to make ourselves obsolete as doctors. We, we may be needed for acute injury or for surgery or for specific things, but most of the stuff we deal with now is just, it's just going to go away if we actually understand how to create health. Sure. Amen to that. So last question, mm. if you could go back in time to, you know, early Dr. Mark Hyman in his mm. 20s, what, what advice would you give yourself back then? I think I've been pretty good at this, but the advice I would give is um, show up, be present, be yourself, be authentic, and, uh, and don't worry because it all turns out. <laughs> rule number six is everything always works out. I like that. So if you start with that, you don't need rule one to five. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much. Sure, thank you. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>